Father in heaven, we are so grateful to be in your presence and to be amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. And Father, I thank you for our time of communion, a time of fellowship. And Lord, we just are ready to receive your word. And Father, I decrease that you would increase. I empty myself of myself. So fill me with yourself that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind will be of you and not of me. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're now in chapter 15, verses 1 through 11 is today's text. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Open your Bibles or your church um, Bible app. Uh, verses 1 through 11 is our text. We're now in part 27 of our series, Undivided. Undivided. Now, as always, before we dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from last week's text. It was all of chapter 14. And remember, the context of chapter 14 is when the church gathers together, when the church, the body of Christ, gathers together, the church should be displaying love. Someone say love. The church should be acting in love while using spiritual gifts. And Paul is showing the Corinthian believers, this is how prophecy works in the church. This is how tongues work in the church. And you might remember the three points that I gave you last week. Uh, the first point was edification. Remember that? Edification. And in verse 4, Paul says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So one is primarily to edification of self. The other is primarily uh, to the edification of, of others. And so what Paul does, Paul sees prophecy as better for the church as a whole. As a whole. And the focus here is that the church may receive edification more than the individual. And the second point last week was comprehension. Say that, comprehension. And Paul says you won't receive any profit, any profit, unless you understand what I'm saying so you can apply it to your lives. And the third point of last week was instruction. Say that. And Paul gives instructions for conducting the worship service. Verse 39, he says this, Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy. Why does he say that? Why? Because it edifies everyone, the whole body. And he says, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Now remember, there's a context for that. And though Paul will, will carefully regulate the use of tongues in the church, he will not forbid it. At the same time, the same time, he will encourage its use in one's personal devotions. And in verse 40, he says this, but everything should be done in a what? A fitting or orderly way. Why? Because God is not a God of disorder, but a God of what? Peace. Peace. It's a God of order, right? You see, order in, in, in worship, order in worship reflects the character of God because he's a God of order. And whatever is done in the church is to be, is to be done orderly, decent, decently, and properly so as, listen now, to bring the most glory, say glory, to God and to edify the whole church. This now brings us to today's text, the title of my message is of first importance. Everyone say that. Now, now, at the time that Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, there were some strange views of death and life after death. Now, the majority of the Corinthian believers believed in Jesus' resurrection. They had no problem with that. They believed that Jesus Christ was resurrected. But some of them were rustling and struggling with their own future bodily resurrection from the dead. Now, remember, many of these believers, right, if you know the background, of the Corinthians, many of these believers came from a background of different belief systems. 
And those belief systems caused some confusion as to their future state. And this is why Paul spends a lot of time, a lot of time on this subject of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the believers. 58 verses in all. Let me give you some background here. There was a, a, a different belief system between Judaism and paganism as to what would happen after someone died. Now, among the Jews, there was a group called the Sadducees, say Sadducees. And they were a religious faction that would show off societal power in every aspect. And, and these men, they hated Jesus. They hated Jesus and were the Jewish aristocrats of their day. They were known as much for their wealth and corruption as for their religious devotion. The Sadducees, they, they controlled the two most important institutions of the Jewish society, the Jerusalem Temple and the Sanhedrin. They didn't believe in life after death. They believed in God. The Sadducees believed in God, but they did not believe in the resurrection, nor did they believe in angels, heaven, or hell. Then you had the pagans' belief system regarding life after death. and Now, among the Greeks, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead as well. In fact, friends, when Paul preached the resurrection at Athens, it says in Acts, write this down, Acts chapter 17, verse 32, Acts 17, 32, that they sneered at him, that they mocked him, that they laughed at him. They scoffed at the very idea of a resurrection. In Athens' citadel of human philosophy, the Areopagus believed that the resurrection of the body was unthinkable. And they believed the body to be the source of man's weakness, the source of man's sin, and they viewed it as a corpse, as a tomb. And it was the prison of the soul, and the sooner the soul was set free uh, in death, the better off a person would be. Now, there were a couple of different groups of ideologies and, and philosophies among the Greeks, and one of them was the Stoics. It's the Stoics. And the Stoics viewed death as natural, as a return to nature, and they called it the divine fire, that everybody, everybody received a spark of divine fire when they were born into this world. And then when they died, their body decayed into the natural elements. In other words, a spark went out. It was absorbed by the natural elements. The Stoics believed that. You also had the Epicureans, and the Epicureans, they just believed in pleasure, man. Just pleasure. We're here to live pleasure, pleasure on earth. That was it. They didn't believe in the afterlife. And then you had the followers of Plato, the Platonists, they called them. And they believed in reincarnation, not resurrection. So it was this kind, you got to get this now, it was this kind of thinking, these belief systems that was influencing the Corinthian believers since they came from a pagan background. And many of them were confused as to their own future future uh, after they would die. And so this is what Paul had to deal with at this time. He was dealing with this kind of mindset and thinking uh, from the Corinthian believers. So what Paul does, and I love it, what Paul does is he builds his case. In chapter 15, he builds his case for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and not just for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but also for the resurrection of the believers. Someone say Amen. Now, this chapter, chapter 15, i got to tell you, friends, is an amazing, amazing chapter. It is, one of the, listen, it is one of the ten greatest chapters in the Bible. 
And what you and I have, listen, what we have in this chapter, and you got to get this, what you and I have in this chapter is the very core, very foundation, and very doctrine, say doctrine, of our Christian faith. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of believers. Got it? Three points from today's text. If you're ready, say yes. Number one is the prominence of the resurrection. The prominence of the resurrection. Remember, Paul is building a case here, right? He's building a case here. The prominence of the resurrection. Now, before Paul builds his case for their resurrection, he needs to first remind them of the heartbeat of the gospel. We call this the good news. Say the good news. Because why? Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the focal point in reference to salvation. It's the fundamental, it's, it's fundamental to the gospel. Verse 1a. If you're with me, say amen. Now, brothers, he says, I want to, there it is, remind you. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. So Paul, right, he reminds the Corinthian believers of the gospel message that he preached to them when he came, when he first came to Corinth. So he's reminding them of the gospel. Now, did they forget? We don't know. Okay, but he's just reminding them. Now listen, the gospel, the gospel is a message of what God has done for me, what I could not do for myself. And friends, Jesus came to earth to live a life I should have lived and to die a death I should have died and rose from death, listen now, so that I may also live. So, so that because of this work, his work, friends, I could be saved. You see, the gospel Paul preached to them had as its bedrock the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1b. Well, let's go back now, brothers. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you, what, received, and on which you have taken, what? Come on, say it. Your stand. Get this. The gospel gives us a place to stand. The gospel gives you and I a place to stand. It's our firm foundation. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Standing in that good news makes us able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. It also enables us to stand blameless, say blameless, before a righteous, holy God. And friends, those of us who have received Christ now stand in Him. And because we now stand in Him, we have a foundation, an anchor, a place to, listen, handle the pressures of life. We have a security, say security, in the midst of trouble. We can stand because of the gospel. Verse 2. By this gospel, you are what? Come on, say it loud. By this gospel, you are what? Saved. Now, I want to stop there. I want you to follow me here. Paul's saying the result of what was preached to you, the result of what was preached to you and what you received and where you stand is that now you have a present salvation. Got it? A present salvation. Paul is saying your salvation is not some fairy tale for the future. Okay? It's not that. It's not just that. It's a present reality. Now, again, if you're saved, say amen. Okay? We, listen, listen, follow me here. We have been saved from our sin. We are being saved daily from sinning. We will one day, say one day, be saved from ever, ever, saved from ever sinning. What you have there is justification, sanctification, and glorification. Got it? 
So he says, by this gospel, stay with me now, you are saved if, if, you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have what? Believed in vain. So Paul says it's possible, it's possible to believe in vain. In other words, in other words, friends, a person can have an emotional or intellectual, superficial experience that accepts the words of the gospel, but the gospel has not penetrated into that person's heart and changed that person's life. They so-called, their their so-called faith or the so-called conversion was superficial. They have believed in vain. And the proof of that is no new desire for Christ, no striving for righteousness, and no new patterns for living. Follow me here. Follow me here. They can be a mechanical, a mechanical conformity to Christianity that never sees any kind, any, any need, any need for faith, any need for change, for discipline, for Bible study, for service, for prayer, for evangelism, or for fellowship. Listen, if a person has really met the resurrected Christ by faith, his or her life will be changed. Not might, will be changed. Listen, it's more than a transaction. It's more than a transaction. It's transformation. Are you with me? Great, there is a transaction. We come, we accept him, right? We say the prayer, right? And that's okay, but there's more to that. And that's transformation. There should be a change in your life. Amen? And Paul is simply reminding them that Christianity is not just head knowledge, ritual, or religion. Christianity, Paul is saying, is knowing and loving the resurrected Christ. What it is, it's holding fast to the truths about the death and the resurrection of Christ. So friends, I tell you as as your friend, as a brother in Christ, as your pastor, so hold fast to the assurance of your salvation. That you would stand firm proving that your faith, listen now, stand firm, listen now, stand firm proving that your faith in Christ is genuine and not empty. It's not vain. Can I get an amen? So he shows the prominence of the resurrection. Point number two is the prediction of the resurrection. Again, Paul is making, stating his case here. The prediction of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the focal point in reference to the scriptures. Got it? To the scriptures. It was validated, listen now, validated by the Scriptures, if you got it, say got it. Verse three, for what I received, I passed on to you. What's that? The gospel. As of, here we go, of what? Say it. First importance, the gospel. If you're saved, say amen. The gospel is the most important message, important message of the church, of the body of Christ. It's the most important message in the whole wide world. And if you're saved, you have that message. You've been saved by that message. Amen? You heard it. You came to Christ. You're saved, right? 
You have that message of first importance. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Let's read on. That Christ, what? Come on, say it loud. Died for what? Our sins. According to what? The Scriptures. The Scriptures. The Gospel is not just that Christ died, but that He died for a specific purpose. He died for sin. Get that? He died for sin. He died as a substitution for our sins. He bore, listen now, in and on His body, our sins, our curse, our hell, our unbelief. He died in my place. He died in your place. We should always keep that fresh within our minds. That he did that for me. He did that for you. Now, there have been many people throughout history, right, who have died as martyrs for good causes. And we see that throughout history. But only one man, Jesus Christ, died for sin. Died for sinners. Right? At the cross. Say, at the cross. Come on, say it. At the cross. He died for our failures. He died for our weaknesses. He died for our rebellion. He died for our sinful lifestyles. And he did it that we might be brought to God so that we would be changed, delivered, and set free. So that we would have, listen now, peace with God. And the result of having peace with God is the peace of God in our lives. So here's a lesson. We always have a lesson, right? You ready? Here's a lesson. Sin is serious. Write it down. Sin is serious. Listen, the cost of sin okay, required the death of Christ to pay for it. And this reminds us that God is holy. Is he holy? That God is just. Therefore, sin will be dealt with one day. And God takes sin seriously. <laughs> listen, church, listen. Okay, the most serious problem in our world is not the economy. It's not global warming. It's not the price of gas. It's not even COVID-19. The most serious problem in our world is sin. Sin. Right? This is why Jesus died for our sins. He loved you and I enough to die for our sins. Right? His desire is not to condemn you. His desire is to save you. Martin Luther said this, Jesus Christ never died for our good works. They were not worth dying for. But he gave himself for our sins according to the scriptures. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. That he was what? Buried. Say that. So what Paul does, and I love this about Paul, he mentions the burial of Christ, what? To drive home the reality of his death, of Christ's death. And Jesus didn't merely have a near-death experience, okay? All right? Got it? He didn't faint. He was crucified and declared dead and then placed in a tomb. We, we know the story, right? And perhaps Paul mentioned the burial also as a challenge to the unsaved world to explain the empty tomb. So he says that he was buried, right? That he was, let's read on, that he was raised, love that, say raised, on the third day according to the what? Say it. Scriptures. Now when Paul says according to the Scriptures, he's referring to the Old Testament. Got it? 
Jesus is, listen, Jesus is everywhere. In the entire Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus is everywhere. Are you guys with me? So he's referring to the Old Testament prophecies that spoke about Jesus, the Messiah. And you'll find this, and just write this down, Isaiah chapter 53, and Psalm 22. Also Psalm chapter 16, and, and Daniel chapter 9. Are you with me? Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Psalm 16, and Daniel chapter 9. The Old Testament speaks about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, in the book of Acts, remember this, friends? On Pentecost, Peter, what he did when he was, he was preaching to this multitude of people, he used the Old Testament to speak of the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. And what did he do? He quoted Psalm chapter 16. He quoted Psalm 16. Now we not only have the Old Testament, right, and the prophecies of Christ, but we also have what the New Testament prophecies of Jesus Christ's resurrection, right? Can I get an amen? Yeah? Follow me, Matthew 12. Just, just write these down. I'll read them to you. Matthew chapter 12, 38 through 40. And when G, listen, when the Jews, when the Jews asked Jesus for a sign, what did Jesus do? He referred to Jonah. And he said this, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Mark 8.31, Mark chapter 8, verse 31, says, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And that, this is what he says, and that he must be killed and after three days, rise again. Good place to say amen. John 2, 19. John chapter 2, verse 19. Jesus answered them and said this, destroy this temple. Destroy this temple. Speaking about his, himself, his body. And I will raise it again in three days. John chapter 10, verses 17 through 18. John 10, 17 through 18. Says the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. And I love what he says here. No one, say no one, takes it from me. Got it? They didn't take it from him. He, he gave up his life. Okay. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have, love this, I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father, Luke 9.22. In Luke 9.22, Jesus predicted his death and resurrection. Okay, this is good apologetics here, friends. Okay, it's good to know this stuff, right? Now, if you're safe, say amen. Everything that you and I as believers, everything we believe and hold sacred stands or falls on the fact of the resurrection. The resurrection is the cardinal doctrine of Christianity. Now listen, friends, if we were to strip, if we were to strip Christianity of the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then our faith would be no more than just another religious system. That's it, just another religious system. You see, it's the resurrection, say that, that sets Christianity apart from all other belief systems. Now all world religions, all world religions, Religions are based on philosophy except four. Except four. Four are based upon personalities or a person. Judaism, 
Buddhism, Islam, and Christianity. And of those four, Christianity is the only one that claims an empty tomb for its founder. The resurrection. And this is what makes Christianity unique. Isn't that awesome? Listen, if you remove the resurrection from the gospel, then you have no gospel at all. A dead Messiah is no Messiah, right? Now get this. Without the resurrection, without the resurrection, salvation could never be given and salvation could never be received. I want you to write this down, Romans 10, 9. I quote this a lot during the altar call, Romans 10, 9. And you got to listen to what it says here. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if you believe that, you what? Will be saved. You will be saved. Jesus not only died for you, friends, he was also raised for you. All right? I mean, if it stopped where he died, then we're going to see that next week, right? What it means if he just died, then nothing happened after that. He not only died for you, but he was also raised for you. There is no gospel, friends. There is no salvation apart from the resurrected Christ. And you cannot be a Christian without the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection was predicted before it took place. The scriptures tell us that. It's validated by the scriptures. And the prediction and fulfillment of it prove that Jesus is worthy, say worthy, to be followed, worthy to be trusted, worthy to be worshipped. I mean, that's why you're here this morning, right? So here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? The Word of God is our authority. That's our lesson. The word of God is our authority. Listen what the text says, okay? Let's go back to the text. In context, that Christ died for our sins according to the what? Scriptures. That he was, verse 4, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the what? Scriptures. As Christians, the scriptures, the word, the word of God are always our authority. It is our main authority, our only authority. Are you with me? All of our theology must be based on the scriptures, must be based on the word of God, not in human experience or not in human philosophy. Got it? The word of God is our authority. This is it. What you have on your lap or on your iPhone or whatever it is, the word of God there, okay, that's your authority. That's what you live by. That's what you follow. That's what you believe. Amen? And anything con contradicting that it's not of God. Are you with me? This is our authority. Can I get an amen? The promise of the resurrection, the prediction of the resurrection, number three is the proofs of the resurrection. The proofs of the resurrection. And what Paul does, Paul gives eyewitness evidence that the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually happened. So look, follow me here, verse 5a, and then Paul says, and that he appeared to who? Peter, Cephas, Peter. Right? Now, why does, why, does Paul, why does Paul mention Peter first? Think about it. Why does he mention Peter first? Well, I believe it's because Peter was deeply hurting at that time. And why was Peter deeply hurting at that time? Because in John chapter 18, verses 25 and 26, John 18, 25 and 26, Peter denied Jesus how many times? Three times. He even cursed Jesus. And he went out and he what? The, the scriptures say he, he wept bitterly. 
bitterly when he realized what he had done to Jesus. So he was suffering the pains of guilt, and he was suffering the pains of shame. Well, Jesus healed Peter's pain. Amen? He, he healed Peter's brokenness. He healed Peter's hatred of himself. And I, I love the fact that the resurrected Christ changed a depressed, discouraged Peter to a forgiven, bold, and dynamic witness for Christ. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 41, Acts 2, 14 through 41, Peter preached to a crowd of people, and listen now, and, and more than 3,000 got saved. So that's why I believe Jesus appeared to Peter first. He wanted to heal him and tell him it's okay and commission him to a new mission. So Jesus Christ appeared to Peter, right? But notice verse 5b, and then to the 12. And if that's not enough, I mean, if it's not enough, okay, look at verse 6. After that, he appeared to more than how many? Come on, say it. 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. That, that phrase, fallen asleep, means they're dead. They died. So Paul's like, if you, if you have any doubts, guys, if you have any doubts about the truth of the resurrection, you can go to Jerusalem. They'll tell you that, yeah, they saw Jesus. 500 of them. Now, some of them obviously have died, but many of them are still alive. Christ was seen by hundreds of people after his resurrection. Now, enemies and haters of the gospel claim that the followers of Christ were so emotionally distraught about his death that they began to hallucinate and imagine that they saw Jesus alive. Well, okay, let's give them that. Okay, let, let, let's, let's give them the haters and the enemies. Let's, let's give them that. It may be possible, okay, it may be possible for 12 men to hallucinate. Okay, let's give them that, but not 500. Are you with me? Not 500. Say that. Not 500. But there's more. Look at verses 7 and 8. Then he appeared to James. Well, who's this James? This is James. This is Jesus' half-brother. And, and it wasn't until Jesus appeared to him, I believe, that Jesus appeared to him that he understood who Jesus really was. And I believe it was there when Jesus appeared to him that James surrendered his life to Jesus. He didn't believe in his own Jesus. It was his half-brother, Right? He got saved there. And he went on, James went on to become what? The, the leader of the Jerusalem church, and he wrote the book of James. Then to all the what? Apostles. In verse 8, and last of all, he appeared to me. Who's me? Paul. Paul. And then he says this, also as to one abnormally born. And last of all, he appeared to me, Paul says, and also as one abnormally born. What does that mean? Well, this means two things. It could mean two things. It could mean two things. It could mean that he came, Paul came too late to have been one of the 12 apostles. I mean that, or it could mean that he did not come to spiritual birth in Christ in the usual proper way. That his salvation was unexpected and abnormal. I believe it's the second one. I could be wrong, and, and I'll, I'll prove that point, okay? Listen, friends. There are more witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ than to the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Are you with me? And yet, no one doubts that that document was signed. John 21, John chapter 21. 
Jesus, what he does, he appears to his disciples while they were fishing. And not just appeared to them while they were fishing, but guess what he did? He ate with them. He ate with them. Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says, After his suffering, he showed himself to these men, Acts 1, 3, to these men, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Gosh, I wish I was there when he spoke about the kingdom of God. Mark 16, verses 6 through 7. Mark chapter 16, verses 6 through 7 says, Do not be alarmed, he said. Jesus said, You are looking... You are looking for Jesus of the Nazarene who was crucified? He has risen. Actually, this is the angel. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where, he, where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, Jesus, as he told you. Amen? Listen, there are so many more. We could be here for days, days and hours about the scriptures that give proof of Jesus' resurrection. But the biggest proof of his resurrection, listen now, friends, the biggest proof of his resurrection is what? Changed lives. Say that. His disciples were forever changed after the resurrection. My life, your life, has been forever changed, right? Since we came to the resurrected Christ. You guys know the 2 Corinthians 5, 17, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you're in Christ, friends, okay, he or she is a what? A new creation. The old is gone, the new has what? Come. Change life. We're different. Well, look, at, look at how Paul's life was changed. Are you ready? Verses 9 through 11. For I am the least of the apostles, Paul says, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. I love his humility because I what? I persecuted the church of God. You know his story, right? Verse 10. I love this. You got to underline this, highlight this, circle this. But by the grace of God, Paul says, I am what I am. Okay? Got it? That's not Popeye. That's Paul. Okay? All right? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. And I love what he says here. No, I worked harder than all of them. Now, he wasn't bragging. He was saying the fact that he was serving, working harder than all of them in terms of doing what he had to do for the Lord. Yet not I, but the who? The grace of God that was with me. Verse 11, whether then it was, for, it was I or they, this is what we preach. And then that's what he says. This is what we preach, and this is what you what? Now, Paul was the last apostle to see the resurrected Christ. We know that, right? Through scriptures, right? And it happened in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, on the road to what? Damascus. And Paul, at that time, was called Saul of what? Tarsus. And Paul was on his way to what? Imprison and to put to death Christians and to stamp out the Jewish believers. But God, say, but God. I love that Paul's doing all this and that, but God, but God interrupted, right, interrupted his life. When he appeared to Paul as a light, listen now, brighter than the sun. We sang that song this morning, right? And he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And the voice identified himself by saying, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. 
See, Paul didn't come to spiritual birth in the usual proper way. That's my point. His salvation was unexpected and abnormal. Did you come to Christ that way? Did you get knocked off a horse? Did you hear a voice? No. Paul did. Got it? Paul's life was forever changed that day. And what it did, it changed Paul so drastically that he went from Saul of Tarsus to Paul the preacher, from religious profession to personal regeneration. And he came hating, hating. And he went away loving. You see, contact, this is my point, contact with the resurrected Christ changed his life. And this in itself is proof, say proof, that the resurrection happened. Now, lesson, if you're ready, here's a lesson. Here's a lesson. The resurrected Christ makes a difference in my life. It should, right? The resurrected Christ makes a difference in my life. Let me ask you this. Has the resurrected Christ, has he made a difference in your life? Listen now, I'm talking to you say people now. Has he made a difference in your life? Now listen, friends, and I want you to hear me. If I call myself a Christian, then there should be evidence. There should be proof of a changed life. Because contact with the resurrected Christ results in a changed life. It's more than a transaction. It's transformation. Okay, well, I said the prayer, and I went up, and okay, so what? So what? Anyone could do that. That's a transaction. Is there transformation in your life? Do people see a difference in your life? Because if, listen, if you've had contact, right, if you experience the power of God's salvation, then you will live a different life. Your life will be changed. Not a perfect life, but a changed life. Amen? Because whoever God chooses, he changes. Transformation, man. Transformation. There's a lot of folks that come up and say the sinner's prayer, walk away, and guess what? It was nothing. How do you know it meant something? Trans, what? Transformation. Got it? Let's look at the text again. But by the grace of God, he says what? I am what I am. Say, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So I want you to stop there and think what he's saying. Here. Paul, what he's, I believe what I think, I could be wrong. Paul pictures the grace of God as a motivation for service. As a motivation for service. As Paul comes to see the amazing, undeserving goodness that God has bestowed upon him, he is moved, he's compelled to serve even more greatly. Got it? Look at the text again towards the end of verse 7, I believe. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we what? Preached. And this is what, what? You believe. So Paul preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they what? He said they what? They believe. Listen, friends, this is how, this is how salvation occurs. Someone shares the gospel, and someone believes. Got it? Someone shares the gospel, and someone what? Believes. Now, let's wrap this up, and I want to wrap it up with three lessons, okay? Are you ready? Say yes. Okay, here we go. Lesson number one is this. 
I was saved to serve. I was transformed. I was saved to serve. The grace of God is a motivation for service. Did he save you? Come on, did he save you? Okay, do you love his grace? Huh? Huh? Right? It's undeserving, but he gave us his grace, right? That should motivate you, move you, compel you to serve. Man, he saved me from a life of sin. He saved me from the pit of hell. And you know what? What I can do, I can serve him as a sign of gratitude, right? And Paul was moved, motivated to serve. You weren't saved to sit and spoil. You were saved to what? Serve. Second lesson is this. Share the gospel. Share the gospel. Who is that person? Who is that person or persons that God is putting or placing in your path to share the gospel with? Is it in the neighborhood? At work? The Starbucks you go to on a daily basis? Huh? A family member? I don't know. Who is that person or persons that God is placing or putting in your path to share the gospel? Let me tell you how to share the gospel. It's very simple, right? This is how you share the gospel. Okay, you ready? Okay, share your story and then share his story. Tell him the way you lived, how you were, share your story, and then share his story, how he saved you and transformed you. Got it? So I was saved to serve, share the gospel. That's number three. Are you ready? That's number three. And I love this. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I need someone to agree with me this morning, right? Come on. For the grace of God, I am what I am. Can I get an amen? Amen. By the grace of God, I am what I am. How beautiful is that? How amazing is that? By God's grace, I am what I am. I want to encourage you this morning. Look at your neighbor and say, uh, by God's grace. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, by God's grace, say, I am what I am. I want to encourage you. Listen, friends, when you're down and out, depressed, when things aren't going your way, when you feel like giving up, no, 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 listen, don't give up. You say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am saved by grace. I am sure by grace. I am secure by grace. I am strengthened by grace. I am supplied by grace. I am satisfied by grace. I am a somebody by grace. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Amen? Be encouraged. By the grace of God, you are what you are. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you.